The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. The gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Paul. I am the senior pastor here at One Fellowship. As we Look to dive into God's word. Would you bow your heads with me one more time as I share a brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today's message is titled, Trust. We will primarily be looking at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And I want to begin with this question. Have you ever considered what God could do through you if you fully trusted in him? Last Monday, as we were going through the Bible in One Year app as a church, And if you're not yet doing that with us, I highly encourage you to download the app Bible in One Year. If you need help in learning how to do that, just see me or one of our pastors after the service. But last Monday, Nikki Gumbel began the devotional as we read the Bible in One Year with this story. He titles it, What You Give to God, He Multiplies. Hattie Mae Hyatt a six-year-old girl, lived near Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia. The Sunday school was very crowded. Russell H. Conwell, the minister, told her that one day they would have buildings big enough to allow everyone to attend. She said, I hope you will. It is so crowded that I'm afraid to go in there alone. He replied, when we get the money, we will construct one large enough to get all of the children in. 
Two years later, in 1886, Hattie May died. After the funeral, Hattie's mother gave the minister a little bag they had found under their daughter's pillow containing 57 cents and change that she had saved up. Alongside it was a note in her handwriting to help build bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. The minister changed all the money into pennies and offered each one for sale. He received $250, and 54 of the cents were given back. The $250 was itself changed into pennies and sold by the newly formed Wyatt Might Society. In this way, her 57 cents kept on multiplying. 26 years later, in a talk titled The History of the 57 Cents, the minister explained the results of her 57 cent donation. A church with a membership of over 5,600 people, a hospital where tens of thousands of people had been treated, 80,000 young people going through university, 2,000 people going out to preach the gospel. All this happened because Hattie Mae Wyatt invested her 57 cents. Have you ever considered what God could do through you if you fully trusted him? I believe this gets to the heart of our passage, the heart of John chapter six, verses one through 14. Our big idea, our big takeaway is this this morning. Jesus not only wants us to follow him to receive new life, he wants us to trust him to ignite a gospel movement. Jesus not only wants us to follow him to receive new life, he wants us to trust him to ignite a gospel movement. We're gonna see this movement in the heart of the disciples in three different ways, under three points, so let's dive right in. Point one, see the people. See the people. The passage begins actually looking at it through one of the other gospel writers that provides a little more context. I'm gonna look at Mark 6 and John 6. In Mark 6, the passage begins, because so many people were coming, and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he, Jesus, said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them, ran on foot from all the towns and got ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Let me ask this question. Have you ever OP'd? Do you even know what OPing means? Well, you will today. It means overpeopling. Have you ever overpeopled? Meaning you've been with a crowd, you're exhausted, you're hungry, you're hangry, you gotta get out of there quick. Have you ever OP'd? Raise your hand, be honest with me. I knew my wife and I were a little different when we first married. 
You see, we had moved back to my small hometown and, and I was going to grad school and we were invited to this party. And I'm someone who's an extrovert. She's an introvert. So when I go to a party, I actually really am intrigued by who's in the room. I, I really look for the outsider to make them an insider and hear a little of their story. And so I'll work the room just because I want to connect with people. Carly will lock on to one or two people and just go deep. I know some of you are like that, right? She'll just lock on, one or two people go deep. But look, when I'm done, I'm done. So I'm either all on or all off. And uh, at this, you know, early in our marriage at this one party, I just remember going like, I'm done. And, and I love these people, but I have nothing else to give. Like I'm, I'm shot. And so instead of personally going around to the 40 people or whatever, I just said, I love you guys. Have a great night. Carly, I got to go. So then I went to the car and I just sat in the car and she's from Minnesota and they have something called a Minnesota goodbye, which means you never leave. You stay locked on to that one person. So like 30 minutes later, I'm still waiting in the car, hiding in the car, all done. She's not done. Um, you see, there's common remedies to being OP'd, overpeopling. Uh, I know another leader I've caught another leader faking the phone call. Like, oh, oh yeah. And they leave. And I follow the leader out. I say, like, you're not on the phone. He goes, I'm, I know I'm busted. I'm just done. I'm done. Well, there's different remedies to being OP'd, right? You fake a call. You hide in the car. Apparently for Jesus and the disciples, you get in a boat. And look, I think that's a holy endeavor, right? They got in a boat. They start making their way out. They're OP'd. They're hangry. And yet... They, they go across the Sea of Galilee, and this happens. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began reaching, excuse me, he began teaching many things. A little backdrop to this text. Jesus, his ministry, his popularity is growing, in Mark chapter five and John five, you see people being healed, kind of powerful, powerful proclamation of the gospel. People are drawn in to what God is doing through Jesus. And before you think they're just running around the corner, no. These people, they've run miles ahead of Jesus. Our, our passage says it's 5,000 people it's actually 5,000 men. Uh, they didn't record the kids and the women in those days. Some theologians think it was up to 20,000 people had run ahead to meet with Jesus. And in this passage, you can quickly glance over this, but these people are needing and wanting two things. One, they're needing love. He says, the passage says he had compassion on them. He sees the thirst of their souls. But they're also, beyond needing love, they're needing leadership. For our Old Testament nerds in the room, you will recognize they were like sheep without a shepherd. This, this uh, declaration is throughout the Old Testament. Specifically, it references Ezekiel 34. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will feed them with good pasture." The nation of Israel had lost its leadership. They were longing for love, deep, life-giving connection, but they were longing for that Messiah to come, that shepherd in the line of King David. 
and Jesus sees them. You see, even though he was tired, Jesus still treasured the people. And I think this is the point. Even when we are worn out, we can reach out like Jesus. First, see the people. Point two, own the problem. The passage continues. When Jesus looked up, he saw the large crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was gonna do. Philip answered, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Let me ask this question. How do you deal with problems? In this encounter with Jesus, the disciples, they show two different ways we typically deal with problems. Number one, we try to avoid the problem. Let's just send them on, send them on their way. You know, they can, you know, fight for their own bread. They can figure it out. Or we try to solve the problem, right? We, we take out the spreadsheets. We become bean counters. Man, Jesus, we, we really have a problem here. Don't you see it? And I love how Jesus honestly has this rhetorical question. Where are we going to get bread? How are we going to do the fish fry? How do you deal with problems? We recently had a problem in our house with Blaze and his uniforms. You see, Blaze goes to PCA. Thank God that they require uniforms because if they didn't, there's no telling what Blaze would show up wearing. Blaze is our middle child, okay? And something we're celebrating is over the last year, we've delegated laundry duty to each one of our kids. Praise God, because they're giants and they have a lot of laundry. So here's the deal. Carly, my wife, bought each kid uniforms at the beginning of the year, shirts and shorts, and said, hey, you need to be ready to go to school. Well, wouldn't you know it, over the last month, we get this, this frantic knocking. Mama, mama, what, what is it, Blaze, you okay? I'm out of uniforms. Well, Blaze, how's that possible? I bought you all the uniforms. I don't know. I don't know. I've looked through my dirty laundry, my clean laundry. I can't find any uniforms, but the one I, I wore yesterday. And by the way, I've probably worn it this whole week so far. <laughs> you see, Blaze had avoided the problem, right? Like he hadn't thought ahead like, oh, I might need to wash my clothes and make sure I have a uniform for the next day. That's too much thinking and planning for Blaze. Mama, I need a uniform. And she goes, well, tough luck. You're just gonna have to wear that dirty uniform again. By the way, Blaze, have you checked in the lost and found? This is a true story. They go to school. Blaze had eight shirts, <laughs> six pairs of shorts, three lunch boxes, and two water bottles in the lost and found. Eight shirts, six pairs of shorts, three lunch boxes and two water bottles in the lost and found. Every family has one of them. You see, in our passage, there are 5,000 plus people who are spiritually and physically hungry. 
And Jesus asked, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them. At first, the disciples try to avoid the problem. In Mark 6, we do read, hey, why don't we just send them on their way? And I know none of you are like this. None of you are those, those people that actually have the dirty laundry and create piles where no one can see them. I'm just gonna dismiss the problem. This is not my problem. And then there's some of us, I'd fall into this camp, that try to solve the problem, right? We get out our calculators. We, we total up what it would cost to buy all the, Jesus, this is half your salary, right? And then there's Andrew who's trying to play the uh, favorite disciple role. Hey, there's this, there's this little kid over here with five loaves, two fish. That's not enough, but I just wanted to point that out, right? You see, all of the disciples fail the test. Why? Because as followers of Jesus, the solution was not found in what they had or did not have, but who they had, and they had Jesus. The Apostle Paul later would write these words, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. But Jesus, if I only had more, like if I only had more time, I'd be present more. If I only had more space, I'd welcome more. If I only had more money, I'd give more. Ultimately, the problem is not circumstantial, but spiritual. We say God is sovereign, but we act like he is not. The problem, friends, it's not ultimately out there, it's here. What if we actually believe that God could take our limited resources and produce limitless results? The Apostle Paul also wrote these words, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. First, we're called to see the people. Second, we're called to own the problem not just out there, but right here. And third, we're called to trust the person of Jesus. The passage goes on. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed those to who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Have you ever considered that you are called to a story much bigger than your own? A story in which God initiates crazy opportunities to display crazy love to a crazy world. A story in which he uses a little boy in his meal to feed and reach 
thousands of people. A story in which he says, you can trust me with everything for I hold back nothing. Nikki Gumbel says it like this. Jesus was constantly developing and encouraging the disciples in their ministry. He did not merely feed the 5,000 miraculously by himself. He said to them, you give them something to eat. Sometimes I feel daunted by the ministry God has given to me. Often I feel I have little to offer the people I'm called to serve. I take great comfort from this passage. Jesus can do a lot with a little. If you offer to Jesus the little you have, he can multiply it and meet the needs of all the people. So friends, are we willing to trust Jesus with what we have and see what he can do with it? A simple yet profound question. Like the little boy and the disciples, we are being called to a story much bigger than our own. Through the echo of the story, we can hear the call of Jesus in Acts. And you will be my witnesses, Jetty. And you will be my witnesses, Butch. And you will be my witnesses, Carly. And you will be my witnesses, Steve, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Through our trust in him, we are being called to ignite a gospel movement. And note the results here. For those Bible nerds in the room, check this out. Our generosity reveals God's sovereignty. The passage concludes, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet. This is the one. This is the Messiah who's come into the world. You see, they'd been praying for and longing for a prophet in the line of Moses, like the new Moses. Read Deuteronomy 18 if you want more research on this. Our generosity reveals God's sovereignty. They saw what God could do with just even a little, little bit. And our generosity unveils God's blessings. We don't give to receive his blessings. We give out of obedience to show who he is, not just to us, but to a watching world. But notice how many baskets of fish and loaves did they pick up as they concluded this encounter? How many? 12. A lot more than they began with. Our generosity reveals God's sovereignty, unveils his blessing. We are all being called to trust the person of Jesus. He wants to use us in a story much bigger than our own. So the big idea is this. Jesus not only wants us to follow him and receive new life, he wants us to trust him to ignite a gospel movement. And why am I so excited about this stuff right here? The one campaign. Because we each are being invited to play the role of the little boy right here and right now. God is saying, what will you bring to me? Watch what I can do with what you bring. 
We have these commitment cards. We are inviting people to dare to pray over the next six weeks. God, what could you do in and through me through this campaign? And then we're inviting people to pledge for the following 24 months to help us live into, build our new facility for thousands who have yet to encounter Jesus, little kids, old people, families, etc. And on the back, it, it, I just invite you to look at this and pray over this and see what the Holy Spirit does. No pressure, just prayer. What do you and I have to bring to Jesus in this moment? Who is he to us right here as individuals and as a family of faith? Uh, just a little bit ago, I invited a couple to share a little bit about their heart for this moment in our church. So I'd like to spend just the next two minutes sharing their words with you today. So what brought me to One Fellowship is just the community, the sense of people that really want to get to know you each week and that take time to talk to you before and after the service. And I'm just really spending time not just saying hi and then leaving. They really want to connect with you. I choose to give to um, One Fellowship because um, my parents taught me at an early age the um, importance of tithing. I remember at an early age that they taught us, you know, that 10%, you know, went to the church. It really is a legacy in both mine and John's family. We grew up understanding that all of your money belongs to God and that tithing just means he's letting you keep 90% of it, quite honestly. Um, so we just want to give and we want to give beyond our tithe. You realize that God takes care of you and your family and that you know, he, he's going to bless you and he's going to bless the church and bless others through that gift. Right now, we are in a rented space. And when you rent something, it's not yours. So it's just exciting to think, you know, to see where it will go and to see a building that maybe we can worship in for a long time and that generations can come to worship in. I think that it's exciting going into a building campaign and thinking about what growth can come from our church. Right now, the space that we're in, we have limitations and we're not going to be able to grow, I think, the way that God really wants us to within the walls that we have right now. So the building campaign is a great way for us to grow as a community, as a church, to have some space for things that are really needed for our youth group and children's group and for our nursery that sometimes you can hear. You know, that's my hope is that through um, this community that people will come to know God um, that people will grow, that they will grow in their relationship with God. And that's my hope is that we have a church body that loves on people. I didn't share this in the first service, but I feel led to share it now. Uh, out of nowhere, eight months ago, we did get a, a gift towards the one campaign and we didn't even have it launched at that point. And it was from our friend Roger, who is Mickey's dad. And um, I didn't know it at the time. But this fall, when he gave that gift, he had terminal cancer. And he gave that gift knowing he would never be able to see it in action. He gave that gift for John and Mickey's sake, for their family's sake, so their kids would have a place to grow up and grow old in the faith. He gave that gift, he told me, on his deathbed, for all of you. 
that you would be able to grow up and grow old in the faith. You see, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. We can be a little boy with our five loaves. And by the way, barley, it was the cheapest bread possible. Two little fish. Or we can be old, facing our end like Roger saying, what do I have to give? What can God do with my life and my legacy? As I close, here's my invitation. Let's be like Hattie Mae Wyatt and the little boy and Roger and trust that God wants to use us in this moment right here, right now to ignite a gospel movement for thousands to come. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you offer us new life through your son, Jesus. For those who don't know your son here this morning, I pray that they would experience life change, that they would hear you knocking on the door of their heart and they would say, yes, come in. For those of us who do know and follow Jesus, may we take the next step as we trust you with our all and our everything, like the little boy, like Hattie Mae Wyatt and Roger. We pray this for our satisfaction and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.